Good morning. We're continuing our studies in the Luke's Gospel, and I hope you're ready to hear and to learn something from the Lord today and to be encouraged. Verse 17 says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said. We just covered a passage last week when Jesus had selected his 12 apostles. And apostles just mean sent ones with authority. So Jesus is teaching and he's serving and he's ministering, but he especially takes a moment, he turns to his disciples, he looked at them, and he said the following words. More than the 12 disciples heard this. There were other disciples there. Maybe some of the crowds who were coming to be healed heard some of these teaching as well. But Jesus especially looked at his disciples he looked at them and he said these words to them. These words are similar words are taught in Matthew's Gospel. If you want to read the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, there, these teachings are included in them. Matthew takes time to do, cover three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. Luke kind of condenses that. He calls them, this, this, we know this is the Sermon on the Plain. It's a condensed version of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. But it's not wrong to think that Jesus spoke these words many times, many places, at different locations, so the teachings would be similar, but not exactly always the same. We're not far off, I don't think, if we call this a disciple's handbook. Essentials for Christ's followers. Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he's saying, you need to know this truth. You need to understand this truth. So he's intensifying his training now of the 12 disciples and his other disciples. And he begins his teaching with blessing and woes. Hear this statement. What heaven values is radically different from what the world of people says is most valuable. It's radically different. Jesus as followers, we need to hear these truths. We need to think through them a little bit more deeply so they begin to work into our minds and into our hearts and change how we think and how we live. God the Spirit is working now like he was back then. So the Spirit is taking these truths, and I pray that they take these truths today and work into my life and your life and your heart as well and change how we view our world and how we serve it. When a person believes that Jesus is Lord of all, he's the Savior from sin's death penalty. We sang about that this morning so beautifully. You see, the Spirit takes these truths, like these truths here that Jesus is preaching to his disciples then and preaching to us now, and he begins to change us. He begins to transform us. He begins to change the actions that women and men do in their lives when these truths get into our minds and hearts through the Spirit. 
Are you an almost disciple today? Do you know what I mean by that? You're, you're, you're thinking about following Christ. You're thinking about believing in Him, but you're putting it off. Well, I tell you, hear these truths today. Jesus wants you to hear these truths. Maybe you're a new believer, follower of Christ, or maybe you're a seasoned veteran. It doesn't matter. We need to hear these truths and digest them and get them into our souls. And think about how, how it should make us different people. And these are essential truths for Jesus' disciples. So let's take a quick look. I just read verses 17 through 19. This is a summary, and Luke does this periodically throughout his gospel. He gives these summary statements. So Jesus just picked his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles, the special group of men that he was going to be teaching. And, and Luke immediately jumps into for his purposes and tells us what Jesus was doing. So Jesus is teaching. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is explaining who he is and how other people can enter the kingdom of God. So he's explaining God's truth clearly without all the, the mess, the muddy water, so to speak, of man's, people's ideas. Jesus is explaining it. He's delivering people from physical diseases. He's healing them. He's delivering them from physical bondage, just like he promised he would. When the Messiah came, that's what he would do. But he's also rescuing the spiritually oppressed, those oppressed by demons, those who are living in darkness. He's delivering them by his teaching and by his healing and casting out demons. So Jesus is having his disciples watch him. Because very soon, you see, he's going to be sending them out two by two. As in pairs. And they're going to be doing the exact same kind of ministry. Have you ever thought about going out and doing what Jesus did? Helping the physically troubled? Teaching the truth of God's word? Explaining it when the opportunities are there so others can believe and understand and enter God's kingdom? Have you ever thought about asking God to heal someone or delivering them from their spiritual darkness. He sends us out to do that so that we help people escape Satan's deceptions. So Jesus is teaching and serving the multitudes. Most were not his followers, so the curious people were there to see if it was true what they heard about Jesus. Many were seeking healing. Many were being having demons evil spirits taken out of their lives and influence, and they were not disappointed. And the crowds, were told, came from all over, from down south. Jesus is up north around the Sea of Galilee at this time, so the crowds from Judea and Jerusalem were there. People from the coastlands and north were there, from the outer, re outer regions of Israel, but also where a lot of Gentiles lived as well. So it's in this setting when all these crowds are around and Jesus is busy with all this activity, that he focuses on his disciples and he wants them to get this lesson. You're watching me. You're hearing me. Listen to what I have to say to you. Again, I say this again. Are you curious about following Christ? You need to hear this. Are you a disciple of Christ, a true follower? Then hear what Jesus is saying. 
If you want to find life, hear what Jesus is saying. Now we get into the Beatitudes, the blessings. Let me just read them again. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Heaven exalts what the world despises. Heaven rejects what the world admires. And we don't, we don't want to under, misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. There's these contracts. There's these blessings. Blessings on those who are now poor. Blessings on those who are now hungry. Blessings on those who are now weeping. Blessings on those who are now hated. And he says, woes on those who are now rich. Woes on you who are now laughing. Woes on you who are full, who have everything you could want. Woe on you if everyone speaks well. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. I want you to know, understand this, Jesus isn't blessing poverty. Okay, Jesus isn't saying it's better to be poor than rich. He's not saying one class of person economically is better than the other. Remember Abraham in the Bible? Genesis? He was a pretty wealthy guy. He was blessed by God. He pleased God. Job was another wealthy man. God was pleased with him. So it's not the riches. Both were very wealthy and lived well for God. But we need to understand that poverty can be a curse, obviously, but so can wealth. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9 says this. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So understand that both poverty and wealth can be a curse. So get it in right perspective. Jesus is saying, though, what is Jesus saying? He's talking to disciples. He's looking them in the eye, kind of personally, those who are clustered close to him and saying, you have chosen to follow me. And if they've chosen to follow him, then they are, and alongside him, then they are living in dependence on God and away from earthly resources. Just a little bit later on in Luke, Jesus is going to say, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you were going to follow Jesus as a committed disciple, he was saying, you are blessed because you've chosen poverty or less daily dependence on God if you're going to follow me than, than pursuing wealth and than still fishing or collecting taxes. That's a blessed position when you're God-reliant and not self-reliant. The kingdom is theirs now, it says in Luke's gospel. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is. Did you get that? It's not future like the rest of these blessings, but yours is right now, present tense, the kingdom of God. You are wealthy. You just don't see it all. Many people are poor. 
That's not a free pass to heaven. Jesus is talking about people who recognize earthly treasures have no value compared to loving Jesus Christ. So we are blessed despite poverty or wealth when we recognize we are spiritually bankrupt. And when you recognize that and seek God's forgiveness, then you are rich beyond belief because the kingdom of God is yours and will never be taken Just a reminder, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 has this incredible passage. If I can find it here. 1 Corinthians 1. Verses 26 through 31. It says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. I fit in there real well. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and is despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The few, the humble, the ones who admit they are weak and need God's forgiveness, they are the ones God raises up. So, where are you? What else does Jesus say? Blessed not only are the poor, but blessed are those who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Matthew says, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Those who never have quite enough will be satisfied when they turn and believe to Christ. They'll be provided for now as God sees fit, and in the future they will be have everything they need. Have you ever been at the We've lived all over the place, the media. In wealthy places and back in the mountains where there's not a whole lot for some people. And you know, when you go to the gas station and you fill up your gas tank, you know when their gas tank's full? It's when it's half full. It's always that way. When they fill up their tank, they only have enough money to fill up at the best, halfway. Always just squeaking by. That's a picture here. You know, those of you who are hungry or who are never quite satisfied, never quite have everything you need, you're blessed if God is your refuge. You're going to be satisfied. Those who recognize their need for Jesus' righteousness and turn them in, in book to him and belief are going to be satisfied. It tells us that in Romans chapter 8. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. So if you are in Christ, then you have what you need the most. It's Jesus Christ and forgiveness and a great future and your God will take care of you. 
You're now a citizen of God's kingdom, and it will always be that way. It's a gift that's given to you by His grace. God has rescued you, so be satisfied. Blessed are you, it says in verse 26, who weep now, for you shall laugh. What does Jesus mean? He's talking about weeping over the world's evil. Weeping over our evil that we do. The sin in our lives, the rebellion against heaven's laws and the suffering that it brings. And that weeping includes the hurts that sin brings into our own lives, like death, like divorce, like bullying, like poor choices and consequences that we make all the time. But this isn't self-centered weeping. It's a weeping that's looking at the big picture of sorrow that's all over the world. And those who know heaven's truth and trust in God, they are going to laugh one day. Since it's in the news, think about if you were in one of those cities in Ukraine right now. <laughs> There's a lot of hot spots in the world where it's a mess, right? You think you'd be weeping. And would you, would you believe it's true that you're going to laugh one day if your hope is in God? Maybe you're weeping right now. It's not literally on the inside. Because of the hurt and the pain. That life has come this way because of the sin in our own hearts and the sin in everybody else's hearts that brings all this, this evil stuff. Do you believe that you're going to laugh? Can you hold on to God and believe you're going to be laughing? Blessed are you when people hate you. When people exclude you, when people revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, Jesus says, Rejoice and weep for joy. Your reward is great in heaven. Leon Moore says, This is an unexpected and hard to comprehend blessing on the persecuted. This isn't suffering because you're a human being and suffering comes to every human being's life in some form or fashion. Some people seem to get off easier than others, but all of us suffer some kind of stuff that's not fun or good. We experience it. But this is suffering because you love Jesus, because you obey Jesus, because you want to follow Jesus. You want to live more for Jesus. You want to be out there and be a light in a world that, that needs the light because it's stuck in the dark. Dark. And if you're experiencing trouble because you are walking with Jesus, then you are in good company. Think of how they treated the prophets. Jesus talks about that. <laughs> Rejoice in that day. Your reward is great. Think about how they treated Elijah. Do you know Elijah's story? Jeremiah's story? Think about how they treated Jesus. I think Jesus was a nice guy. What do you think? <laughs> and look what they did to him but he says think about it that's how they treated the prophets of old that's how they treat me but rejoice in that because you're identified your reward is going to be great in heaven 
in the end, it works out really well for people who trust in God. And it will for us, too. But let me just ask you this, because, and I'm asking myself the same question. Do you really believe it? And when life gets hard, or harder, tomorrow, this time tomorrow, or maybe next week, or in a few years, will you still believe it then? But Jesus is overcoming. Victory secured. We need to help one another believe that, to encourage one another when we're discouraged. Because it happens. Relationships that nurture and build one another up so that we embrace God's kingdom fully and we enter it with laughing, with joy. Hey, Peter kind of puts it this way. At the end of his first letter, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. I think Peter finally got this message, right? He was hearing it that day when Jesus was saying, and he's repeating the same thing. If you're reviled because you love Jesus, then you're blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Wow, Peter finally was getting it. He knew about the situation, and he's saying what Jesus said in Luke and Matthew's gospel about being blessed when you're persecuted. It's true. He was writing to Christians who were suffering for the name of Christ. He was encouraging them. We need to do that with one another. So here we have the mind of Christ, heaven's values being laid out here. Blessed is the one who's poor, who, who is not rich-reliant, self-reliant, but God-reliant. You're blessed. The very things we labor to avoid, poverty, not having enough, not being known, Jesus says, don't embrace us. But no, he says, excuse me, he says, do embrace them if they come because you're following me. Let's take a few minutes and look at the world's woeful values. In verses 24 through 26, Judy read, but let me reread. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The world's woeful values. These are the unholy life principles that we so often pursue in this world. But Jesus says, declares, they're woeful. They're woe-filled. The dangers of self-sufficiency without recognizing God or including God in your life. 
And by the way, this word woe here isn't like some kind of a curse. It's a word that's used more to be not so much a threat, but an expression of regret or compassion. So here's what Jesus is saying. Woe to you. I really feel sorry for you. You've been deceived and you don't even know it. It's that kind of a woe. Surprise, what you're seeking so hard to have, riches, to be filled, to be happy, and to be accepted by many people are not as good as you think they are. As a matter of fact, they lead to eternal trouble. As a matter of fact, they're not as desirable as everyone's telling you they are. You notice the advertisements on the Super Bowl, right? It's all about happiness. It's all about having this stuff. We all need more of it. And we're never happy. He says, don't believe everything you hear. What Jesus says is best goes against my natural inclinations. Why are riches a woe? Why is being having everything I need or really want a woe? Well, again, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, we'll be looking at it a few, a few weeks down the road, the rich fool. He had everything he wanted. His barns were bursting with grain, so, and he had to build more barns to have more grain. And God said, you fool. You're rich in the world, but you're not rich toward me. You're going to lose your soul and build more barns for nothing. His wealth wasn't the issue. What he did with it for God was the issue. How are you using the little abundance you have to fulfill God's command to help people know, love, and serve God? If you only have $2 in your pockets, how can you use that $2 to help someone know God? If you have $100 in your pockets, how will you use that to help someone know, love, and serve God this week? I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but I'll say it again. How many of you but pray to God to win the lottery. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Lord, if I win that five million dollars, I'll give you ten percent. I'll tie Do you ever think maybe it ought to be the other way around? Lord, if I win that lottery, you get ninety or ninety-five percent of it, and I'll just keep a little bit that I you really think that way, do you? Woe to those who are rich, who are self-dependent and not God-dependent, not self-reliant instead of, and, and comforts of this world-reliant rather than God-reliant. Woe to those who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep, it says in verse 25. By the way, God loves laughter. So it's not a sin. It's not forbidden to laugh and enjoy good things in life. But Jesus is talking about shallow marriage, about the party life, about living without concern for other people. Selfish living, me first living, just living in my orbit and the people I like in my orbit this week. And taking care of them and not thinking about God or the bigger things. Woe to you who laugh now, who have a good now, because if you are, have God outside of your life, you're going to be weeping and mourning forever. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. 
That rarely happens. Except when you live your life and compromise to keep everyone you're around at the moment happy. And if everybody likes you, you're in trouble. By the way, believers, we're to have good reputations with people. It's, a, it's, it's one of the qualifications uh, of, of leaders in the church to outsiders, to, to be thought of well from those outside. So all of us need to strive to be, have a good reputation among people. But just remember, universal acceptance or love or popularity is not good. Let me use an extreme example. Ever read the book of Revelation? What did the world think about the false prophet and antichrist? They worship him. They say there's no one like him. They bow down to him. And they hate the true prophets of God. And they hate Messiah and God and his people. Be careful who loves you. So what are we going to do with these blessings and woes? How is it going to change the way I think? How I live? We're called to a life that's patient, that endures and sacrifices, that maybe even becomes less wealthy because we're following Christ. We're in a lot of different ways in the world loves. Blessings of rest restoration and reward are given to those who trust and persevere while waiting for Jesus to restore all things. I can't follow Jesus and seek after possessions and comforts and positions of influence in the way unbelievers do. So following Jesus means we have to be different. And if we're not different than the people around us, we really have to ask ourselves, am I really a follower of Christ or am I just pretending? Am I fooling myself? Or do I need to step up and grow in that area? We don't need to be sinless followers. We just need to be followers who are growing closer to Christ. Being more like him, loving the things that God loves, valuing the things that God says are a blessing over what the world says are a blessing. That takes time. That's a real heart check. You don't do that in a sermon in a moment. But what about us together? These blessings and woes begin to reveal what God really values, what heaven values, what we're to value. Who does God honor? Who does God lift up? Those who humbly rely on Him. And as a local church, who are we going to pursue who's lost? Are we going to chase after those who have little, whose lives are messier, but who need to hear the light that brings them out of spiritual bankruptcy and darkness? And what about the wealthy? Do you hang around with the wealthy people? They make me uncomfortable, real wealthy people. I'm uncomfortable. But they need Christ too. They're lost in darkness. How will we reach out to them? Those who have little and those who have much who are spiritually bankrupt. God's arm is not too short to save. So how will we pray so poor and richly that darkness for God's light and life? Maybe some of you have heard that there's like this amazing little thing going on at Asbury College. 
like the worship service that wouldn't end. And that is very awakening among the student body. It's been going on for a week plus now. It's like a mini revival. Heard it might have spread to another campus. Is God doing something like he's done in the past? But how will we pray? Do you have any concerns for the world and the younger generations that are following us? You gotta be worried. So how are you gonna live and pray and show heaven's values in the world that doesn't understand it? Heaven's values have always been a hard sell in this world. Do you believe it's worth it though? Do you believe poverty and persecution endured because we love and follow Jesus are blessing rather than woes? Or are you of the mindset that riches and enjoyments and popularity among our peers are more valuable than anything Jesus could ever offer us? The next time you find yourself wishing for more money, possessions or comforts, Ask yourself this, will having that help me be more God-reliant or more self-reliant? Will it lead to life or to death? Because just remember this, Jesus turned to his disciples. So it's like he's looking at them, right? Kind of like I'm trying to do some of you right now. <laughs> and he said, the blessed people are the ones who trust and rely on me. And pay whatever cost it is to follow me. And the people who forget God and are self-reliant, they only have woes waiting for them in the very near future. Let's pray together. Lord God, change our thinking. Give us faith to believe that you can be trusted and that your way is best. That it's worth any cost, any pain any discomfort that might come our way, turn our hearts toward you, to love you and your kingdom. Show us, Lord, just pour out your mercy on us so we learn to be merciful the way you are merciful to us. Give us faith, give us endurance so that we can trust you through difficult times, Lord, that we don't give up hope in you because you are the Lord of all, Savior. And we ask you to do this, change us, so that the world can know and believe and be changed too. For your honor and glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.